High-performing teams have human leadership. Human leadership creates trust, purpose, and belonging at all levels. We've developed three core workshops to elevate your team with human leadership. Find out how to bring human leadership to your workplace at www.wearehumanleaders.com. Welcome to We Are Human Leaders. I'm Sally Clark, and today Alexis Sana and I are speaking with Hema Vias on heart intelligence in leadership. We discuss in depth the impact of heart intelligence on how we lead, how we communicate, how we evolve, and how we live as humans and as leaders. Hema Vias is the omnipreneurial psychologist and an international speaker and mentor. Hema guides the path to commercial success, evolutionary and inclusive leadership, well-being and positive impact for diverse global audiences. Her work is centered on connecting with ancient wisdom to solve the problems of modern times, especially by understanding the significance of the heart. Hema helps leaders connect to their own personal truth and build towards a life of love, joy, mindfulness and prosperity. Her vision closely aligns with the core components of human leadership. We hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Hema as much as we did. Let's delve in. Welcome to We Are Human Leaders, Hema. We're so delighted to have you with us today. We'd love to start just by understanding a little bit of your story, your journey that has brought you to the incredible work uh, that you're doing today. Uh, yeah, so I think I grew up sort of mixed cultures. I'm Indian originally, but grew up in England. And so therefore, you know, I've always had a very spiritual upbringing. It wasn't obvious because it was just part of my heritage, part of my culture and part of our belief system. Um, but it was really interesting because when I'd go out into the world and be myself, um, you know, I was met with people who were quite shocked at some of the ways that I was, you know, um, super friendly, super open, just would ask questions that people would be quite taken aback by and I never quite understood it when I was growing up but I was I became very popular as a result because I think that what I realize now is that people were desperate to be seen children were desperate to be seen and of course they weren't because people there was a a barrier, a block to, you know, what was, you know, culturally acceptable in terms of what you could ask. And I was quite forthright, quite direct. I didn't think I was. I thought I was just being me. Um, but it was really interesting as I look back over my history and I think, wow, these are really interesting moments that, you know, where just showing up as yourself is so, so important and really, really being able to connect with your heart because from a young age I was very empathic so I could feel other people's feelings. I could feel when somebody really wanted to share, when they wanted to talk, when they wanted to open up 
And so I was that person who was always able to see it, recognise it, and be a vehicle for them to be able to express themselves and to feel really, really seen and not judged. And so that was, you know, when I was a child and talking about, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And because, you know, I was born in Africa, lived in India for the first few years of my life, English wasn't my first language. So coming to England was really interesting from the point of view that when I was able to just, you know, speak and I was quite shy and I thought I wouldn't be accepted and yet I became so popular and I could never understand why this little girl, first Asian girl in this school was sort of so accepted and so loved and I now look back and I see it's because I was just showing up and letting them be seen and that's what the world needs now and that's a lot of my work really helping people to be seen so beautiful hammer i think it sounds like you really struck a chord a very deep chord and a, a sort of very fundamental human psychological need to feel seen and heard that uh and it's so beautiful in the context of that sort of you know school environment i can imagine where no one can even see that or articulate it and yet that was exactly what was happening in a very probably very raw and also very authentic and natural way as a child and it also sounds like there's quite a an innate curiosity that you brought to it as well is that something that you've seen also sort of through your work and as part of uh your your journey uh, sort of shifting from child adolescent into uh, the work that you do now in in the business business environment oh absolutely i think from a young age i was always asking the big questions you know like what beyond the sky you know you've got the sky and then what goes beyond that and so and I always find that you know the quality of questions determine the quality of your life and so growing up always being curious and so having a scientific background being able to go okay why is this happening why is this like this should it be like this asking those bigger sort of questions being really really curious and really finding that there weren't the answers that I was looking for in textbooks or there certainly wasn't the answers from other people. Like at university, you know, a lot of uh, lecturers and professors and teachers were not very open to the kind of things that I was curious about, especially um, about the hard energy, because at the time I didn't call it hard energy, but I was like, we're talking in psychology about the brain and all of these things and physiology and, you know, but what about the heart? Why are we not talking about the heart? And so that became like a lifelong journey to really bring the heart intelligence to the world. And I know lots of people are talking about it now, but, you know, 30 years ago that wasn't the case. Mm. Emma, I just want to reiterate something I heard you say there, and I feel like I can't move on without without saying it again. And that is that you mentioned this concept of, you know, the quality of your questions determines the quality of your life, I think was what you said. And that to me is just, I couldn't move past that without sort of bringing that forward again for people to hear again. It's so impactful. And you know, sort of shifting now into the work that you're doing with, um, I know you're you're bringing the concept of heart intelligence or the science really of heart intelligence to organizations 
into leaders and you know, interestingly, the science of the heart is that it is more powerful than the brain. I forget the actual um, sort of equation there, but I know that the the coherence or the the, the frequency of the heart is like ten thousand times more powerful than the brain, or something um, insane like that. So it's such a powerful part of our being um, and our physiology. And I'd love to know him in your experience of doing this heart intelligence work in perhaps a corporate setting or with leaders. What do you really see as the core difference between a leader who's able to lead from the heart? And what does that actually mean? Um, and, you know, and a little bit more about why that perhaps matters so much for us, you know, in the state of the world right now. Absolutely. So I would say the old paradigm was, you know, I think they've always been leaders that have led from the heart. They just haven't known it and they haven't necessarily termed it. Um, But I think now we need more leaders to become conscious of it because, and it's my opinion, but my opinion is that, you know, as businesses grew and organisations became bigger and bigger um, and more departments, more silos, Um, what happened was a lot of leaders began to lose the connection to heart. They started off with a passion, a purpose. You know, every business begins with that space. And as, as it gets bigger and bigger, they become less conscious because, of course, the pressures pile on, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the importance of the work that I'm doing, that you're doing, that people are doing now, really bringing this awareness about leading from the heart is to give people an opportunity to recognize that we need to pause, that we need to stop, that we need to become more conscious of what it really means to have work-life balance. And work-life balance isn't about splitting your time 50-50 or 60-40 or anything like that. It's really about checking in with who you are, how you're feeling, whether you're processing things, whether you're processing information, whether you're processing your emotions, whether you're processing what's happening in life, whether you're processing other people. And really, really being heart-led is really allowing people to sort of come back to an awareness of their emotional intelligence. But I would say really heart-led is about coming back to spiritual awareness for a long time you know we don't talk about heart we don't talk about spirit we don't talk about you know esoteric concepts and yet we are you know holistic beings and we you know we're living on a planet that is held you know in the cosmos through ways that we can't even begin to explain through physics or science. And so surely the same applies for us. So there is a deeper part of us that we need to not ignore if we're going to be effective, not only as leaders, but if we're going to be effective in businesses and making choices that are healthy for us as individuals, that are healthy for the employees and the people who are involved and impacted by the work and the businesses that we run but also that is going to ultimately be healthy for the planet so really heart-centeredness is really about aligning all aspects of our being being more conscious of it and 
taking steps to connect to it on a daily basis and connecting to it in a way that we acknowledge that we matter as human beings and it's not just about the business or the bottom line or productivity. It's about so much more. I love that, Heyman. I'm, I'm really hearing how it's, I think, this historical uh, mind tendency that humans have to really categorize and want to separate and label. And and I think what you're speaking to is this really beautiful alignment between different facets of our experience that actually permeate our entire existence. And that's a good thing that that, you know, that is a wonderful and powerful thing that spirituality and heart-centeredness can be a part uh, of business. And I think what you spoke to also about it being awareness that we can really imbue our present moment with that facilitates connection um, between human beings as businesses, uh, you know, consumers with products, whatever it is, that sort of sense of connectedness that can occur when we're leading uh, with our heart wisdom. I'm really curious. I'm really curious to delve in specifically if we can for a moment to the impact of heart intelligence in communication. So as leaders, how can we use this awareness and this heart intelligence to uh, drive our communication skills with the people around us? Um, So, you know, I always say that the heart communicates first and then the words follow. Um, So the heart starts, the mind then turns it into words and make sense of it and then you know we open our mouths and we speak so when we really really understand that the importance of clearing the debris from our heart so that we show up um, really really ready and present in that moment we are going to be able to communicate more effectively what is true for us and who we really are So understanding how the heart energy works, understanding that there is a communication that exists outside of words, that exists even outside of nonverbal communication, because of course psychology has looked at a lot of, you know, verbal and nonverbal communication, but, you know, to really now delve into the heart wisdom, to understand what is the heart communicating, how is the heart communicating, and I think it starts with really being in touch with ourselves, as you said, Alexa, um, Sally, earlier, you know, awareness, that awareness that there is that communication. Why is it somebody walks in the room and you immediately feel better? Why is it somebody walks in the room and you immediately feel jangled? Because there is a communication going on. And if we are aware of that as leaders, then we're able to make more time in our work lives to take time to help people understand the importance of, you know, that non, non-verbal communication, but also then to help people to get in touch with being more authentic, get in touch with being more transparent, get in touch with being more honest, being getting in touch with you know, having the courage to speak out when you don't necessarily fit in the room. Sometimes you can be the only dissenting voice. So how do we understand, you know, that the heart is communicating that dissent anyway? So when we really know that and we understand that, we're able to say, okay, well then let's just help these people who perhaps want to speak up but haven't been able to speak up to find the courage to do that. So the training, you know, in these sort of 
qualities become so essential because that is part of what I think has caused companies to lose a lot of employees or to not be as productive, not be as creative, that has led to burnout because why does that happen? When people feel there's a lack of connection with their values, their needs being met, um, their spirit, but also their will. So if there is a need to communicate something and yet people are not able to feel safe or they're not able to find courage or they don't feel they can in that space for whatever reason, then it's going to create a toxicity in that environment and that has such a ripple effect. So it's about sort of the sort of softer skills, the heart quality skills that I think people think, well, we don't have time for that. We need to concentrate on productivity or we need to concentrate on, you know, getting the business off the ground. It's like, no, without those foundations of people really, really tuning in to these qualities and knowing that there is a space for those qualities to be kind of um, cultivated, for these qualities to be really valued and respected and brought to the forefront of the business, I think businesses struggle over time. And of course, there are lots of people who do it organically, naturally, and so that's not to take away from that. But if we do it more mindfully, if we do it more consciously, then I think that it's going to have a much deeper impact because we can all lose ourselves in the moment. We can all be heart-centered and then lose ourselves. So if everybody's working with that paradigm in mind, then I think it's going to be much, much more effective longer term. Yeah, absolutely, Hema. And, you know, I, I agree with this idea. Sally and I see it so much in the work we do. Um, organizations really measuring bottom line, you know, in the, the hard metrics that we can see. And I think they struggle to connect the dots between concepts like heart intelligence and how a leader who's really showing up in that way can actually positively impact the bottom line and the flow on that that presence in of itself has on the people around them and how that impact then, you know, affects their the meaning they have at the work, at work, the purpose they have at work, and then you know, obviously, the things that businesses like to measure, like their productivity, their outputs, the KPIs, and all the things that come with it. And one word that sort of kept coming to my mind as you were speaking is this idea of you mentioned you, it's not about balance, but to me, it feels like it's an integratedness. It's about human beings having the space to show up as their whole selves, their spiritual selves, their emotional selves, their mental, physical, all of those selves at work. And I I certainly can speak from my own experience here, having lived a past life in corporate marketing um, and fairly big companies that were very KPI driven and those sorts of things that you certainly walk in the door of some of those organizations and leave pieces of you at the door and then you sort of put your game face on. And, you know, there were so many times where, you know, listening to you speak just then talking about this idea of sensing people's energy and things like that in the room. But in my experience, I would simply ignore certain things um, about the way I would feel because they were unproductive towards the goals that I knew I had to achieve. So you shut pieces of yourself off or, um, you know, push feelings down and things like that because it's not really moving you towards the goal that's been 
set for you. So that was just something I took out of what you were saying there, that to me, it really sounded like human integration versus work-life balance. It's about allowing space for the whole human to show up. And I want to dive into this concept that you um, speak to regularly, Hammer, and that is the term omnipreneurship. And I'd love to firstly understand what exactly this concept this concept means. And also, would you be able to walk us through sort of what some of the key components of being an omnipreneur are? Absolutely. So, I mean, ultimately, all of my work comes back to heart. So, you know, ultimately being an entrepreneur is really, really about really stepping into our hearts because, you know, we have our instinct from the gut and we have our um, instinct, you know, that the cerebral instinct, the intellect that comes from the brain. But where the balance is for all of ourselves, that alignment comes from the heart space. And so really, really being an entrepreneur, I think, is a term that I felt applied to where we're going in the future. So we have a lot of entrepreneurs, we have a lot of businesses, and really omnipreneurship is about a different kind of person, whether you work in an organization, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you run your own business, whether you run several businesses, whether you're interested in several products, whatever your situation, at the end of the day, I think we all need to step up and become entrepreneurs. And what that means is that we take responsibility for ourselves. And we take responsibility for, you know, clearing our emotional traumas, both individual and collective. It's really about how we can show up in a way where we can really, really shine through with our purpose, why we're here. We're all part of an ecosystem. We belong and we absolutely don't need to go outside and look for validation or a sense of belonging when we really, really have that synergy within ourselves. We find that connection within ourselves. We find that sense of belonging that allows us to be responsible for the choices that we make, for the human being that we become, um, for the people that are impacted by us, whether it's our personal life, professional life, social life, whether it's, you know, um, how we show up in the world independently, how we show up collectively. But it's also about really, really shining through with that sense of purpose and understanding that sense of interconnectedness, which allows us to take care of the planet that we're living on. So omnipreneurship is really about the people, you know, the human-centeredness and the connectedness of that human aspect, the connectedness of how we all have our purpose and how we can take responsibility for really, really stepping into our power and financially as well as, you know, professionally. So it's not just about meeting someone else's bottom line, meeting our own bottom line. What are our needs? How do we get our needs met? And how can we take care of ourselves, take care of other people and take care of the planet that we're living on? so impactful there hammer and it leads me really beautifully sort of into the next question that i that i'd love to ask you and that is this idea of authenticity we hear a lot about this in the business space right now you know what does it mean to be an authentic leader 
But I'd love to hear it in your words. What does authenticity mean to you personally? And how does this connect to heart-centered leadership? Coming back to sort of, you know, the heart energy and the science and my understanding of the science behind the heart, I really believe that the heart acts both as a magnet and a mirror. And what that means is that basically things show up in our lives to help us heal aspects of whatever we're holding on to energetically that doesn't belong here in this space. So it might be, you know, in our DNA, it might be ancestral energies that we're holding on to. It might be traumas from our past, traumas from other people's past, trauma from our society, from our cultural past, because all of these things impact us. And Part of being really, really authentic as a leader, I think we have a responsibility as humanity going through what we're going through right now to really heal a lot of those traumas. We cannot be authentic just by being outspoken or just by saying, well, this is who I am and I don't care about, you know, what other people think. That's not what authenticity is about. It's about clearing away stereotypes, patterns, energies, thoughts, feelings that we've held on to that don't belong to this time and space. How can we be truly present to this moment if we're holding on to biases, when we're holding on to um, stereotypes or cultural beliefs that don't necessarily belong to us in this moment? And so taking the time to really, really heal ourselves, to heal what the heart shows up as, you know, where there's healing to be done. And we can see where things are going wrong in the world, for example. Well, I think that's a collective responsibility of all of us to really, really go, okay, this isn't just about the politicians or the decisions that are made on our behalf. This is about us taking you know, sovereignty, being really sovereign in our own rights and really taking responsibility and saying, who are we and how can we clear those things? How can I really, really process what's happened this morning at breakfast before I go into work so that when I go into work, I'm not carrying a little bit of residual energy of, you know, I might have been irritated with, you know, uh, my son not sort of clearing up and, you know, when I've asked him 10 times and, okay, well, you know, I have to have the space to clear that and then to, and to be conscious of that, to be conscious that these things impact me, then I can go in and be authentic. So that's one level of authenticity. But there's another level of authenticity, which is, you know, we know in psychology that we are so, so deeply impacted by the resonance of other people. We know, for example, social experiments that have been done. You walk into, and I'll give you an example, and I saw this recently on, I think it might have been Twitter, where they did an experiment where everybody walked into a lift and they were all part of the setup except for one person. And they all walked into the lift and faced the wrong way. So you know how we all walk into a lift and we all turn and face the door as it's sort of the exit out. And so they all were facing the wrong way and the one person who was not part of the setup was sort of facing the right way, which is the right thing to do. Um, and then a few sort of uh, floors, some of the people left and new people came in, but again, they were all part of the setup 
And as they came in, they also faced the wrong way or faced the back of the wall, uh, back of the lift. And gradually, you see the person who is facing forward slowly, very, very slowly, very subtly, very unconsciously begin to turn in order to fit in to the group. And by the end of it, they literally are facing the other way. And when asked about it, they weren't really cognizant that that's what they were doing. And that's what's so interesting. And that's where I think we really need to understand what it means to really, really show up as being authentic. And it is about being aware, being conscious, being present, and recognizing that there's something interesting going on. And it would have been so much better if they'd had the courage to say, hey, this is really interesting, what's going on here? That curiosity that we started off with. You know, if they were curious, why are people facing the other way? Maybe, you know, they might have come to some conclusions, maybe not. But that is what authenticity is really about for me. It's about not being impacted by those subtle things that we're all impacted by, not being led by group conformity because just because the group conforms doesn't mean that it's right and I think when we're really really authentically showing up as ourselves then we have that courage and that courage I believe comes from a very clear very knowing heart that knows that this is who I am this is what's right for me and this is what's right for you know, for those around me. So it's not about being selfish. It's not about saying, well, this is me and I don't care. It's about saying, well, this is me and I know that this is what's right on a deeper level. And so to really be authentic with that and to question those things that show up that might compel us to go against ourselves, but to question it and then maybe turn those people around and get them to go, no, actually, maybe you should be facing this way. Mm, mm. And it's such an interesting discernment to make there, Hema, because I think often we confuse our conditioned self with our authentic self. And I heard you make the comment that, you know, this is who I am and this is how I show up and people can get um, confused with being outspoken um, or being sort of aggressively who they think they are with authenticity. And, um, you know, this idea that we're tribal creatures inherently. And so we will eventually conform to what we're seeing around us. And we know through psychology as children, we onboard so many narratives about ourselves from such a young age. And I just love this discernment between authenticity and, um, you know, what I'm really hearing as being the conditioned self, which is what we take through the world in our everyday lives and in our leadership. So absolutely. That's beautifully put. That's exactly it. It's the conditioned self. And and, you know, moving away from the sort of need to be selfishly authentic and to be genuinely authentic. And I think what I'm also hearing as well, Hema, and how you're speaking about omnipreneurship as well as this sense of deep uh, authenticity. And I love that you mentioned the word courage because that certainly resonated for me as being a component, curiosity as well as courage. And also a little bit of almost radical responsibility for in that moment feeling that overwhelm and those natural sort of psychological tugs on us of groupthink of what everyone else is doing and having a little bit of sort of, you know, maybe 
fierceness even about saying, no, this this doesn't align. I'm tuning in deeply to who I truly am and and sensing that this just doesn't align. And on almost a practical level, that just reminds me also that this is where self-care actually really matters because when we we can only I think really find that attunement and really tune into that when we're really looking after ourselves when we're making sure that we're feeling nourished we're we're taking you know really good care of our of our bodies minds and souls so that we have that attunement and awareness uh, that you spoke to earlier to be able to make that discernment absolutely absolutely and self-care is as much about discipline you know that we prioritize ourselves we prioritize those things that set us up to to be well to be healthy to be you know really centered in ourselves so that we can show up for other people in the way that we really need to and that's an important aspect of work because you know for decades that was taken away the idea that you should take care of yourself it's like no you have to be at work and you have to fulfill this you know these kind of responsibilities and get this project done at any cost it doesn't matter that you're up half the night or whatever and it's just not healthy it's not a healthy way for us to be living yeah and you've spoken to some of I think the internal barriers that we can encounter as leaders when we're wanting to you know really lead from the wisdom of the heart some of these biases and these tendencies that we have on quite a subconscious level often what are the sort of external uh, factors that you see as really inhibiting a leader's ability to act and 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 lead from their heart wisdom um well first and foremost i would say in businesses definitely bureaucracy you know, because it's not just about, you know, your call. There's lots of other people involved. And so really, really being able to lead from the heart, I think, is having that ability to positively impact and influence others, to be able to see the world through your perspective when you have a clear perspective of what's really, really needed, even though logically it may not make sense. And so, you know, it's really being able to stand your own, hold your own space and, you know, stand your ground when you really, really believe something. And that comes from, you know, the confidence. And a lot of people talk about confidence and, you know, what is that confidence? I think the confidence is to be able to speak out, to speak up, even if it doesn't make sense. Because especially when it's an intuition, you know, there's one thing when you've made sense of something and you can talk it through as a presentation and you can go through all the logical steps to convince a board, for example, that this is, you know, what we should be doing. But there are times when we're heart-centered and actually there isn't the logic and sometimes, you know, there aren't the steps. And how do you get people to sort of, you know, um, understand, believe in what you're saying? And I think it's a lot to do with heart resonance. It's really, you know, those external um, barriers that you're going to meet. I think you're going to be much better at dealing with those barriers when you really have a deep knowingness because... The strongest heart is what it gets entrained to. And the strongest heart, I think, is the one that has the, the most confidence, not, not confidence superficially, but confidence in trusting that intuition that it comes from that deeper place. And to so then be able to say, right, 
this is how I'm going to communicate to these people and they may not get it out first and I may not have all the words, I may not have all the presentation diagrams and facts and figures but if I can just, you know, really, really express what I'm really feeling to find the words for it and to be able to positively impact. But I, again, I think it's, you know, when you believe in something so strongly, I do think that you have that courage, even if you're not necessarily courageous in that moment, you have the courage to see it through. So there are lots of barriers that we met with in the world because, you know, you're going to get the negative kind of, you know, critics, people who are sort of naysayers and and that's where I think, you know, really, really being centred in your heart is so important because you don't get swayed by it. Yeah, I'd love to... Uh, a test of theory with you if I can, Hema. And I just want to also point to the fact that the word courage, of course, comes from the French word for heart, cour. Um, <laughs> but also I feel like in those moments where we perhaps don't have all the, the, the PowerPoint presentations ready and we don't have all of that data necessarily to back what we're saying, but when we're able to be very present um, in our communication and for me, it almost feels like a sort of a connection almost physically with my heart in what I'm saying. That communication has a much more impactful resonance, I feel. And so it might be that I feel like I'm speaking from my heart almost literally. That is when sometimes we can almost don't need perhaps all of that data or all of this evidence to show that this is the way. We get that sort of sense of connectivity because we're speaking from such a heart-centered place does that make sense and 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 does that resonate with your work oh absolutely completely you said it so beautifully Sally because that's exactly what I would say you know in my years of speaking I haven't always had the data sort of to back it up because you know when I started speaking about it years and years ago um, now we have people like HeartMath who are you know and again I don't think it quite sort of touches the depths of what what is possible in terms of, you know, science is limiting because it can only measure what technology can create. And so therefore, you know, there's an infiniteness to the heart and that's what I really feel. But exactly as you said, Sally, I feel that when I spoke, that's why people just really got it. Sometimes they'd be like, I don't know what you said, but it resonates so deeply as a truth. So they can't put it into words and they don't quite get it and they don't quite get why it makes them feel at peace, why it feels right, but somehow it does. And that's what I say, that we all know on a feeling level what feels right. And we all know when something is not right. And the thing is, how do we... Um, become more aware of it and how do we tune into it and how do we shift our thinking so that we are able to really feel that sense of resonance and to really speak from our heart and let go of the monkey mind that says but you have to have x y and z and if you don't have x y and z then it's not going to work whereas we know on a deeper level that when there's something that comes deep from our heart whether it's what we say what we believe what we feel when it comes from deep within the heart there's a truth to it and it might be a truth in that moment because, of course, the world is evolving and changing. And so it's not absolute, but it's a contextual truth. Wow, that is so powerful, Hammer. And I want to sort of shift towards something that I think 
is really important for leaders to understand as well. And you've spoken a lot around this concept of tuning into our own heart intelligence and allowing that to be sort of our guiding light, even if we struggle to explain sometimes why we're doing it or why we're feeling the way we're feeling. And something that is really important for leaders and is a key piece of their job is also the care of their employees and the care of others. And, you know, we know that by taking care of people in business, the bottom line will take care of itself. And that's a conviction that we very much have at Human Leaders. And I'd I'd love to hear from you sort of shifting that focus a little bit now. And what are some of the key steps that leaders can take to start taking better care of their people and their employees in this heart-centered way? Oh, that's such a great question. And really, that's that's why I do the work that I do, because it's less about the leaders. Of course, it's about them because they impact and influence so much. Um, but it's really about the people. You know, in my years of work, I've seen so many people struggle, and I just see it's unnecessary. Sometimes it's because you know the leaders, you know, that they're surrounded by, just aren't present. Just don't care about them in the way that they should. Probably because they've got their own stuff going on. So it's not that they're uncaring. So that's not what this is about. I think the way that leaders need to take care of people is absolutely first and foremost taking care of themselves. And, you know, the sort of um, oxygen analogy, you've got to make sure you've got your oxygen before you try and give it to someone else. Um, they need to step up and to really be willing to take the sort of training and to not think that it's not important, it's not necessary. It is. If The only thing you learn from the training about how to be a more heart-centered leader is that I already know all of this, then that's great because if you already know it, you're suddenly conscious of it and you're proactively applying it. So that's fantastic. But number two, I would say if they really want to take care of other people, then it's, you know, not putting them into a box to see their individuality because each person is going through something and good and bad. And if you can really, really see the person, you'll see their strengths, you'll see their weaknesses, and you'll see what can be built on, what can be cultivated, the qualities that will make them better, stronger as people, first and foremost, and then as employees. Whereas if the attention and intention is on how can we get them to work better, work more, work you know more productive, you're asking the wrong question as far as I'm concerned. Because the minute you ask that question, you're going to get the wrong answer. The minute you ask yourself, what is it this person needs? What do they bring to the table? And what do they need? You know, so it might be a false economy for them to think, well, I don't have time for that. And again, I've worked with lots of people where that's been the case. And it's like, well, actually, the truth is you don't not have time for it because if you don't make time, these people will leave or they will become gradually unproductive. And you might think they're being productive because they're now working 12 hours a day. But actually, how many of those hours have been productive? How many of those hours have they been really present? Could they have spent literally two hours doing what they took 12 hours to do? And, and the answer for me has pretty much always been yes. 
you know, when we're in flow, when we're in our heart space, when we feel seen, when we feel heard, when we feel really, really kind of validated for who we are, our strengths and our weaknesses, we are able to get so much more done in such little time. And that's what leaders need to recognize, that taking care of others and really seeing them and making time for that is absolutely essential. And if you want a more productive, more creative, you know, workforce, then I would say, you know, allow them to show up the best possible version of themselves. I think that's such an important message, especially at the moment, Hammer, we're seeing, I think, so many people who are so bright, so talented, have so much to give, who find themselves in organisations, often in a situation where that's thwarted and that event, that gradual drift then um, can be very, it can really decimate your sense of self. And I think a lot of people are then saying, well, I'm going to work for myself, I'm going to leave. And I, that was a step I actually made, shifting out of law to work for myself for that exact reason, to take ownership back of that time in a way that felt healthy and, and energising and authentic to me. So I think that's such an important message for leaders to have that that question needs to be, Drop you know drop the, the the productivity and all those kind of questions and and really focus on the individual their needs and holding space for that um, with with that beautiful heart intelligence which you've described so wonderfully for us through this conversation. Um, I have many more questions. I'll I'll, I'll hold it to one if I may. Um, and I'm just curious if if someone's listening and they feel like well I'd I'd love to take a step towards leading more from my heart intelligence what would be that first step that you would suggest a person might take Um, so I would really say that it's important to get support you know like I say if the only thing you learn from doing um, some sort of training or having a mentor is that you know certain things it solidifies it I think sometimes when we know but we don't know that we know and someone just you know, holds a mirror up to us and says, you, you know this, it really, really helps that confidence and, you know, the courage to then go forward with it. But I would say getting the support, take, you know, finding the right mentor, finding the right teacher, the right training. And I know you provide quite a lot and, and we do too. So take that step because I don't think that it's ever a waste of time, a waste of energy, a waste of money. We always learn something new. Every podcast you listen to, I listen to them, you know, all, all the time. Like, that's my morning thing. There's always something to learn from somebody, even if it's just a phraseology or some, you know. I spoke to a lovely man yesterday. We were on, on a call, and he said, you know, that aha moment. And I, I've heard that concept before, and I've worked with somebody else who's sort of talked about it. But I think we need more of those because those moments when we hear something, when we learn something, when we understand something about ourselves and the world we're living in, that allows our heart energy to expand rather than contract, where there is more love, more light let in. I really think that that's what helps us evolve. And ultimately, I think we're not here to learn. I think we are absolutely here to evolve. And that's why I say, you know, I'm here about evolutionary leadership. And so I think we have to be willing to take those steps to evolve our own consciousness and our own connection to our hearts. 
Emma, thank you so much. Such potent and powerful words that we can all take on board. And as I just heard you say, taking the first step is to just look for support and know that connecting to others is the first step in this journey of evolving yourself. Thank you so much of being part of We Are Human Leaders. We've been so grateful to share this conversation with you today. Thank you for joining us for this powerful conversation with Hema Vias on heart intelligence in leadership. As Hema mentioned, there have always been leaders who've led from the heart. They just haven't known it. We need leaders to become aware of it, and we couldn't agree more. You can find and follow Hemmer's work at hemmervias.com, H-E-M-A-V-Y-A-S.com. Thank you for being with us on this journey of human leadership. See you again soon. Thank you so much for sharing this space with us. If you're ready to join us and be part of the Human Leaders community, find us at www.wearehumanleaders.com. Thanks for being on the journey with us and we'll see you next time.